1: Robots Radio presents
0: You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast The best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters To those curious about D&D To learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons Sergio. Crit? Do you know what today is? Today? Why well, it's Christmas Day. Is it really? It's hold on. No,
1: wait, no, I'm I'm confused. What day is it?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Time, we've we've time been in this works, tower for so
1: long. <laughs> time works a little differently in this tower. Not sure what day it is. I'm not sure when's the last time I bathe. Not sure of a lot of things
0: anymore. You haven't been bathing? Sure I have. <laughs> Well, Sergio, I thought it's time for us to take a field trip, and I have been diving into my own homebrew spells, and I think I have a way for both of us to take a field trip out of this tower.
1: I thought we couldn't both leave. I thought Uh, one of us had to stay.
0: Ah, but that's the beauty of homebrew. I get to change the rules. (laughs) I see. Okay. Would you like to take a field trip with me? Sure. Of course. Portal! Look at that beautiful thing. Uh, I'm not walking into that. Oh, you've got to. Or I'm going to shove you.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> Whatever. Let's go. Let's do this. I'm ready. All
0: right. Let's go. Whoa. Welcome to my wonderful homebrew world, Alteris.
1: This is This is lovely
0: you'd say this that is, you would say that
1: I mean I don't want to hurt your feelings it's, it, it looks like a very nice
0: homebrew campaign setting it needs a little work but that's why we're here we're going to talk about all things homebrew today and I'm so excited
1: you uh, you've built up quite the reputation as a sort of a homebrew king if not at least a homebrew prince I, I would say prince <laughs> uh, yeah you 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 uh As the kids these days say, homebrew is your vibe.
0: Most definitely. And as it is my vibe, I want to talk to you about some of my wonderful settings. Let's hear it. So, the first thing that comes into mind as we walk through the beautiful fields here is the cities. The beautiful, beautiful, lush, and wondrous cities. And In my homebrew world, we have a fantastic city known as Citadel City. And in this city, there is an arena, a war pit, a brutal fisticuffs, if you will, that you can fight in for money. Okay, I like that. It is completely volunteer basis.
1: Oh, so there's like no... um because I know, like, a traditionally uh, in arenas, there's like a like there's a lot of um, slavery, like you know, like people that are forced to fight, um, or or not even forced, but just sort of thrown in to as sort of like sacrifices. Uh, so this is completely volunteer basis. So
0: it is, it is not a hundred percent volunteer basis. Nah, not a hundred percent. No, close enough. Are convicted serious. Criminals are forced to fight into this pit Ooh. Can and they win their freedom They can win their freedom Alongs other prizes Sometimes incredibly dangerous prizes That
1: seems A little problematic to have Like a violent criminal
0: Win their freedom Through more <laughs> violence You would think so But that's what we're going to talk about today Working out the kinks And environments So Let's get down to the nitty gritties. Citadel City is an entire city that is based off of, its economy is based off of this fighting pit, okay? The city has been completely constructed around it. There are taverns. There are bedding areas. There are hotel, well, inns, if you will. There, there's The city is just completely built around it. However, there's one structure in this city that keeps people, keeps people perplexed which is a museum. Now, why in the world would there be a museum here? Well, that comes down to who owns and operates the city. The city is owned and operated actually by a deity who is a dragon.
1: Interesting. Yes. Very cool.
0: The dragon constructed this entire city with one thought in mind to get his hands on as much magical, items and materials as he possibly could to keep it away from people because he thinks people are dangerous. As he's the god of magi, that's his whole objective, to keep the dangerous magics away from people. What better way to keep them away from people than to make them believe it's right in front of them the whole time?
1: Okay. I'm I'm digging this.
0: So, we have the museum that has replica artifacts. Uh, People can research. They can begin to understand and learn why these items were kept away from them. But that brings us to the arena. Why in the world would we offer freedom to convicted, terrible criminals? And why in the world would you give them dangerous items? Well, this isn't a hundred percent the truth. The deity in question is named Byros. The
1: dragon Uh, deity.
0: The dragon deity or Aberos, the blue dragon. Um, the reason he gives these items and these, these fantastic prizes of freedom to these criminals is because they aren't truly free. Once they obtain their freedom or said magical item or powerful thing, he then adopts them into his army and re them.
1: Okay, okay. I'm following
0: you so it's not so much a it's not so much a risk anymore and the people of the city understand that and even the criminals understand that when they fight they fight for their freedom to obtain a sense of rebirth and see that's what makes this setting to me beautiful because it was constructed in a way that the entire city nets together okay so, that's kind of what we want to talk about today with Homebrew. How do we get to that level of complexity within just a simple city?
1: Yeah, that's just that's just the one city on the entire continent of Alteris.
0: Exactly. And we have, and an, we have another one that's completely ran and operated by a group of seven knights called the Silvered Knights. They were anointed with power by a great ancient dragon and... They've been instructed and appointed to in to enforce the rules of good across the realm. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is another complex city. It's a large. It's one of the largest cities in Altaris. But how do we get to that level? Well, the first thing we have to understand is we have to start at our ground base, which is the why. Why homebrew? Why homebrew? That is the question on everybody's minds. Why do I want to use homebrew?
1: Um because I mean, look, uh, you know, official Wizards of the Coast D&D stuff of uh, there, there is much of that and a lot of it's great. A lot of it's fantastic. Uh and by all means if you use any of the um like pre created uh, campaign settings uh, Races Items No one's going to hold it against you No one's going to hold it against you If you set your campaign in Eberron Or if you set Or if you run um, The Curse of Strahd Exactly how it's written in the book I mean, These things have been play tested By many many people To work out the kinks So that it works as well as possible And granted There's still some stuff to be tweaked And and fixed as even as after these uh, after these works are published, um, but the reason for homebrew is to make it that much more your own. I mean, in a game that is limited only by your imagination, why not create your own campaign settings? Why not create your own races, your own items? I mean, like just the things that are. I saw the most amazing spell on Facebook. It's called Tub Thumping. What? The spell is called Tub Thumping and we'll get well, we'll, I'll 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 go into detail when we talk about uh, homebrew spells and items and stuff. Yes, um, but I just, have to hear just, more about this. Just to tease you about that. But no, it's <laughs> and it's so much fun. Like I said, it it only adds to the element of fun and the element of imagination and like I say like it's it's you can and again, no one is going to uh, no one's going to criticize you for taking uh, bits and pieces of stuff that's already created and making sort of like a mishmash and allegation of, of, of a lot of different stuff to create your own, you know, setting uh, race, you know, item, whatever it may be. Uh, I mean, this is, like I said, that make, make the game your own by oh, all yeah. means.
0: And I'll even, I'll even up you one. It's, it's not about you making it your own. But it's about also allowing your players to make it their own. The immersion is so much grander for your players as the DM if they feel like they're impacting not only the story, but the world. Exactly. We've all played those world ending campaigns, and those are fantastic. We save the day. Yay. But what if the smallest choice you made had the grandest impact on an entire economy? An entire city can come to crumble because you decided that you were going to change the prices in a local shop to lower, mm-hmm. or you know whatever have you. And I've heard, I've heard it said both ways. Well, I don't want to put homebrew in my campaigns because I feel it's going to take away from D and D. And you know I can see that to a point. You get too homebrewy, and you get too epic, and you get too fantastical. It does take away from the feel of life or death scenarios in D D. But on that same point, if you I personally feel if you're not adding just a little spice of homebrew, you're not doing yourself any justice. And it doesn't have to be incredible homebrew. I've had people do homebrew rules for the games. I've had people yeah, ha- natural twenties I mean, aren't natural twenties. You know, I've it's house
1: rules are I mean, house rules are so prevalent that they they're included in the player's handbook, in the DM's uh in the DM's handbook. Yes. Uh because Every game is going to have its own house rule. Like a uh, a popular house rule that uh, I've used is, especially um, in previous editions, when you had to confirm a critical hit. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, in fifth edition, you roll a twenty and that's a that's a critical hit. You know, three point five, you had to confirm it with another roll that at least um, that at least meets or beats the AC. Uh, but if you rolled another twenty then that's, you know, that's not only confirmed, but you triple damage as opposed to uh, whatever, you know, the the damage may be. And then you get to roll a third time. Yes. (laughs) And if that third roll is a 20, if you roll three 20s in a row, you will instantly kill whatever creature you are attacking.
0: Also, I'm checking your dice.
1: (laughs) Also, those are loaded dice. I spent hours crafting this deity battle. Uh, No, and just, I mean, just the idea of being able to do something you're not really supposed to do Mm -hmm. like that. That's a criticism in, um, in video games, especially where you have like leveled where like the, the creatures level along with you. Yeah. You never feel like you are, um, like you're overmatched. And if you, if you end up killing this creature that you've, you've kind of, you know, done something great and amazing. Um, that's something that is very much possible with with D anD D or with any tabletop role playing game, because you can tweak the rules to your liking.
0: Exactly. So now that we've answered the why should we do it, now we have to answer. Freaking the, fun, man! It's fun. Uh, now we have to answer the how should we do it. Well, that's even tr- that's tricky. It's easy to answer why. It's trickier to do to do how. So here's what I'm gonna do. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it down the building blocks of how we built Citadel city. So the first thing you have to do is start with a basic town or city. Okay. You don't have an emperor. You don't have a governor. You don't have anything. It's just a town where people shop, they live. It's normal daily life. Mm -hmm. We start there with our basic foundation and now we need to spice it up. So to spice it up, we need somebody in charge. Now, you have to decide, do you want this to be a prosperous city? Do you want it to be a city that's faltering and failing? Do you want it to be just a normal average city? What do you want? Who is going to lead this city? Is it going to be an entity or is it going to be one physical person? Or maybe it's attached to a network. Choose who your leader of this city is, this Mm -hmm. environment. Once you've chosen your leader, cho- choose their impact. How have they impacted the town? What actions have they taken to impact this town or city? And once you've done that, you have your homebrew environment. It's just yeah, like mean, C- Citadel.
1: Yeah, you have uh, you have the 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 basic building blocks, mm-hmm. and then you can start to fill in all the the crevices of the the backstory of you know, um, how did the city come to be? Like, you know, if you decide uh, it has a a duke that was put in charge by the emperor who's in, you know, the large, the capital city, Mm -hmm. you know, what is that duke's connection to the emperor? Uh, You know, are they they friendly? Is he sort of a sycophant? Or is he like possibly like, you know, trying to like angle himself as a usurper or an heir? Uh, So yeah, you definitely want to start off with, the, like the the big strokes the big wide strokes yep. the, the general ideas like you said and then that's when you can sort of like you know fill in the details yeah you know trying to go for me trying to do details first can be too overwhelming it and it always is and I, and I and I find myself giving up you want to start off with big general ideas and then work your way down
0: exactly so now that we have our city, the next question we have is, what about the lore? How do we get any sort of backstory history here? Well, the answer is you don't always have to. Sometimes it's as simple as a wandering merchant wandered into a city. He saw that it was suffering. He provided his aid in in merchandise and increased the wealth here. And they appointed him the governor or emperor or whatever of the duke whatever you want to call it of this city kick-ass duke and there you go that's the history it literally took us all five seconds to explore the the lore behind what you whatever you're creating is as vast or as little as you want it to be don't try to lose yourself in these details because that is where our players come in Let them explore, let them discover, let them influence the environment because that's where your lore for years to come is going to come from is your players. Let them impact and change the world. I
1: was going to make that
0: exact same point. Um,
1: There have been numerous occasions in a homebrew campaign or a homebrew setting where I left it specifically open-ended. I mean, I didn't let the players know this. But I let it. I let whatever detail specifically open ended to be determined by whatever the players did. Exactly. So if the if the players did option A, well, then that means that this city is was cursed by a witch five hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. If the players chose option B, that means the city was uh, founded by a, an exile nomad who you know threatened. Uh, who who threw, you know vow revenge on the um, on the empire. So, like I said, like that that's that's very crucial. You don't necessarily have to have every single detail you can uh, you know, planned out ahead of time. Oh definitely, yeah. Definitely, like you said, definitely let the players mold and and uh, create the world around them. Like make them feel like they are responsible for changing the this city, this this continent, this world that they're in.
0: Oh yeah. So now that we've answered our how, let's dive into what I made. Yay! <laughs>
1: now it's time for you to show off
0: your yeah, shiny toys. My shiny toys. No, let's, let's, uh, we'll use, we'll use Altaris as an example. So what I've, what I have is a, an entire world, but we're going to start with one simple continent. And the main continent to Altaris. Is one of the most historical and shares some of the most just downright juicy lore across the realms. So, the history with this one, Elspeth, is that long ago there was a grand battle in the Forgotten Realms between a man who was cursed with a canthropy and an ancient deity. The man, was, the man with lycanthropy was set to slumber for all of eternity. His power was so grand and great that he imagined an entire world. A traveling being known as Univerus came upon this dream and loved the world so much that they birthed it into existence. Yes. Okay, that's <laughs> that's wild, okay. it, it is. Uh well, universe, we'll, we'll get into that when we talk about deities, but after universe birthed it into existence, they decided that they needed a they needed a commanding authority over it as there are no deities over this world and they don't want the old deities to take control. They've right. seen the impact of the warring gods upon many a worlds and they do not want them. what they're what they're trying to achieve on this planet is peace and prosperity. Right, right. So they scoured the universe for separate races and found them. But not before the dra- great dragons Bahamut and Tiamat found the world first. There was a Great War of the Dragons, which paved a lot of the landmass into what it is today. After the War of the Dragons moved on, Univerus started to bring forth different species and races into this world and gave one instruction and one instruction only, is to live amongst each other in peace. From there, they began to develop cities. The dwarves built great and beautiful cities in the sides of mountains, one of which still stands today, which is Winterforge. Uh, the elves built their homes in the woodlands and amongst the plains. The humans built their cities in small keeps in the desert wastes and along the coasts. All of these races began to develop their world. Then there was a great war war of segregation amongst the races. The more humanoid creatures did not think that they, they did not trust the more monstrous races that were brought to this world. And the monstrous races were condemned to another continent, which we won't go into. Um, But from there, it developed further where deities began to be born through action and but really quickly, though, but
1: but now you have this lore set up that yes. that on this other continent, yes, that you know it's essentially the you know the, you know the monster in the bed or under the bed or the monster in the closet, mm-hmm. you know that you know there's this other continent that's full of fearsome, deadly creatures. Yes, and but again, like is it is it true? Is it, or is it just something that people tell kids to scare them? Exactly. You was know, it so much, or we'll ship you off to <laughs> you know the continent? It,
0: and that is actually one of the adventures that my party has gone on is to discover what the truth of this continent is. And in reality, what it was is the humanoids had sentenced these races over to this other continent out of fear because of what they knew from their previous lives, from the previous stories that were told amongst them about the other worlds, how the orcs would betray and you know, ravage the lands and destroy them, and and it caught. What it caused was a great divide into the ideals of what Univerus wanted, which is where our gods have become born. Because Universe saw that it was happening again, so sh- they gave birth to several deities that were mortals that proved themselves through action. Um, they traveled the multiverse to find three people that could be appointed the abilities of time, fate, and destiny to intertwine and weave the history and the future of this world. So through all of that other, we won't go into, but other grand things happen, but there's our base for Altaris: a grand event, a dark past and a cause and effect for why the world was split the way it was. So yeah, let's let's dive into some of the more major cities. So we have one city called Winterforge I mentioned briefly. It was originally a Dwarven stronghold, but now the Dwarves share it with Lycanthrope. It is an entire city built around uh, Lycanthrope kind, and the Dwarves reside in the mountains of that city now the castle that the dwarves had originally built was built into the side of a city. Or, sorry, the castle that was originally built, the dwarves built into the side of a mountain, not a city. Um, and the there was a huge war between them and the elves at one point, which gave the lycanthropes this abandoned kind of central point that they took over. Once they took it over, they found the dwarves were still living. The lycanthropes of this world are not always hostile. So they worked with the dwarves and created this beautiful city where amazing things are created. Ice weapons, um, weapons created completely crafted out of fire. They've created these magnificent armor and weapons and world sought out items. So that's Winterforge. Mm -hmm. Um, It is one of the most fantastical places for blacksmiths. To acquire learning, the just on the other side of it, there is a place called Bad Call. Now, this is an encampment that was created in the Tundran wastes that barbarians and fighters alike can live there, almost in a Ragnarok, or not a Ragnarok, almost a uh, Valhalla kind of state. Okay, they can constantly fight. They can. War, drink to their delights, and then there is absolutely zero repercussions. If they die there, they're just reborn immediately, and they can go back to fighting. It is a heavenly state for people who lived there. However, to get in, you must appease the deity of chaos through action.
1: Nice, nice.
0: So that's bad call. It's a wonderful, destructive place. (laughs) And the last place I want to talk about is Bagladernish. Okay. Originally Bagladernish was a desert city that was well established and it was it was beautiful. It was prosperous. It was wonderful. However, when a individual was given authority over this section of the continent, which we call the Compass Knights, when the Southern Compass Knight was given authority over here. They did nothing to help prosper or develop the area, which let siege to thieves and warmongers and villains alike, which caused the entire South to run into a a, a state of decay. So now you have these large cities that once thriving, merchantile areas are now areas where you may find mercenaries and thieves and rogues and the shall we say unsavory members of the community um but again this was through the actions of a player because of their actions or their inaction an entire section of a continent has now been reduced to crime uh,
1: it's it's yeah, it's, a, it's a bit lawless it's a bit um you know um uh, post-apocalyptic sort of um, not in like the (laughs) environmental sense but in sort of the um, societal sense yeah uh yeah i mean and i love um you know you're describing the different cities in in the camp in the campaign setting that you've created and i love like the the differences between them Mm -hmm. i love and i think that's crucial when you're developing a campaign setting is to not have every city be a you know carbon copy of the previous. Oh yeah, you know you ha- you have uh, a city that is like you were just mentioning is is was sort of built by by thieves and and rogues and and ne'er do wells, mm-hmm. uh, and now has become sort of like the place you uh, you look when you want to uh, you know buy a, a, a weapon, no questions asked.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's.
1: It's they've created this wonderful community. (laughs) Um but then you also have um you know a city that is uh was uh started off as an encampment and Mm -hmm. was built into you know into uh, a an established, you know, stationary, you know, uh location. Yep. And so yeah, I love I like the the variety is really what is is great whenever you're able to create uh your own campaign setting. You're literally able to have a little bit of everything.
0: Exactly. So now that we've hit some major plot points for settings, let's talk about creatures and races that we can throw into these settings. We've we I talked briefly about some of the monsters and creatures that I have th- thrown in some of my settings. We've got lycanthropes. We've got <sighs> barbarian, like four-armed barbarians. We've got all these fantastical creatures. But we have to decide where they belong. Because... Obviously, we can't have orcs hanging out in a city full of people, can we? Why not? Exactly. It's homebrew. (laughs) Yeah, you,
1: I mean, traditionally uh, orcs and even half orcs, like we've discussed that Mm -hmm. uh, in our previous episode, um, you know, because of their appearance, they're not welcomed all too well in, um, in a, in any sort of, um, community, whether it be human or dwarf dwarven or elven. Um, and it's up to you whether you want to stick to that narrative or if you want to complete, or if you want to muddy it up a little bit Uh and say like, well, like, you know, there's a couple of cities where orcs and half orcs are welcomed, but you know, the cities up North, not so much, you know, but, um, but starting to get toward the capital. And so, further south, uh, assuming the capitals in the middle, I'm going kind of by uh, by Oblivion, The El Scrolls Oblivion map. <laughs> uh, one of the capitals, like dead center in the map. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, you know, they're they're very much welcome. And in, in uh, even so, like you know, some of them hold uh, office, whatever you want to do, or you can mm-hmm. just completely upend it and say like, there's there's no prejudice whatsoever. You know, yep. orcs, half orcs. You know, they, they mingle just as easily as any human or elf would.
0: Or you can throw it completely off opposite wayside and say that the humans live in the wilderness. The
1: humans are the worst.
0: Exactly. Which is what I have on a separate continent where humans are the worst and they live in segregation. Nice. And complete isolation. But that brings us to. Okay, well, we've got these established races and that's fine. I want my own race. So some of the questions you have to ask yourself when you're making your own race is, what is the purpose of this race? Is it to, are you wanting to play a specific character? Do you want to see specific creatures walking around? What is it? What is the reason you want this race? Because your reasoning is what you're going to, it's going to give you your drive to push it to the next level. So, for example, I have a race of vampires that are half-blood. So they're only half vampire. They were created, however, in an untraditional sense where they were experimented on. Vampires were experimented on and the blood was extracted and given into orphans by a um, terrible, cruel duke. This gave birth to an entire race of half vampires where they have to consume blood that has adrenaline in it in order to survive. They are the 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 whole process with how they were created was they were created with adrenaline and everything else. But yes. So that is the reason that is one of the races that I've created. And they're I like called it. they're vampirids. The reason I created okay. them was for essentially a superior defense force in Citadel City. Because they are actually employed by Byros the Grand Dragon as guards on the night shift.
1: I mean, makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and and yeah, like you created a race to um, sort of um, to fill a need. Exactly. Uh, You know, the need being we need uh, elite guards that um, can that are awake at night, you know, mm-hmm. um, that are stronger than humans. In fact, uh, you know, are, are better suited to guard at night. Exactly. Um, and so when creating a race, uh, like you can, you can do it for de- various different reasons. One is to like, like you did fill a need two is to, 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 to sort of flavor up the campaign, the story, you know, there's, um, you could create like, you know, we've talked about different um, like sub races, Uh, you know, elven sub races, you know, there's the, the, the mer folk, you know, they're Mm -hmm. pretty much like, you know, mermaid, merman elves, they're aquatic elves that, you know, uh, were created because like, well, Hey, like what if there were elves in the water? Like, what about that? And that those sort of questions is what, you know, what precipitate, uh, race creating. So exactly. you can say like, okay, well, what if, uh, you know, what if a human, you know, uh, you know, what if, uh, orcs, uh, were traveling in a, in a tribe and came across, uh, a baby that was left behind for whatever reason. And that baby grew up as an orc, you know, obviously like knew it didn't really, look like an orc you know obviously but but in all in every way but appearance was an orc Mm -hmm. you know married an orc and had a half-orc child and you know that orc because knowing like you know story of his father uh, goes on to do whatever uh, mates with uh, a dwarf and you know all of a sudden then you have you know all sorts of possibilities open for oh yeah for races you want to
0: create yep and that is the the spiral effect as i call it you fill a need or you you have a character who has this incredible backstory it's it's the spiral effect one action can result in an entirely different race and it's incredible and honestly i find that's the easiest way to create an entire race is to find a spiral effect Okay, we have lycanthropes. Well, what if they couldn't cure their disease because they're special born? What if they were magically created this way at birth? That's who they are. What would happen if they mated with humans? Well, then you have half lycanthropes. Well, what would that be? We have this race in our world. They are wolf people. They they share some similarities with a wolf or a tiger or whatever animal the lycanthrop was. They share some physical similarities to that. They may have a tail. They may have claws and fangs. They may have just different colored eyes, but they share attributes of both races. And again, it was a spiral effect from a player. So it's a wonderful thing if you just let creativity roll. So... We, I've got tons of races to talk about, but we're running out of time. <laughs> so let's it's, go. I mean, yeah, that's the
1: thing with homebrew is like I said, it's, it's only limited by our imagination. So we could mm-hmm. literally talk about homebrew for hours, for days, hours. weeks on end. Um, I mean, there's an entire website devoted to homebrew material that we talk about every single week. That we love
0: and Mm -hmm. support 100%. Boom. And we're going to talk about that during the mid-break. Sergio, we've talked so much about homebrew, and we find ourselves at the middle of the show. Once again. Once again. As always. It's coming to a better end. (laughs) It's bittersweet. This is
1: it's all downhill from here.
0: <laughs> so to start off our mid break, I would like to thank our patrons. And we'll start with our apprentice patron. We have Daniel Palelo and Pilelo. Pilelo. There we go. I'm sorry, I can't I can't butcher names and I'm sorry. I'm trying. <laughs> so we have our scholars, Wolf the Sheepdog, Remington Cloutier. We have our wizards, Stagger and Stumble, Jonathan Sutter, and Jared Bush, and Chris Mitchell. And we have our deity patron, Lupus Malum. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and if you're interested in becoming one of our patrons, just mm-hmm. go to patreon.com slash Uh We have several different tiers to sign up for, starting as low as five bucks uh, you can get stickers, uh, ad free episodes, bonus episodes, t-shirts, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, one on one time or two on one time, whatever it would be with, with me and crit where we will help you do exactly uh, what we're talking about right here, which is like building a homebrew setting or building homebrew, mm-hmm. uh, uh, races. Um, we can also, you can also be a part of our monthly, uh, patron game that we've uh, started back up yep uh you'll and if you're in the ten dollar tier you'll have access to those episodes as well uh, because those are included as bonus episodes so i mean there's a lot of different stuff uh, a lot of cool swag you can get um if you are so inclined to throw uh some some gold our way we would very much appreciate it um and if you can just listen
0: we appreciate that too and you know sharing with your friends some sharing, of the best things you can do for us
1: sharing is caring <laughs>
0: It's a rule now. It's a rule now. But again, thank you to our patrons. You're all wonderful. You allow us to do this every week. It's incredible the amount of support you show and the amount of love you show to us. We appreciate you. So, Sergio, that brings us to... drum roll, please. The DM's corner. The DM's <laughs>
1: guild corner. Uh, so... I got this in my inbox uh, just a few days ago and I knew we were going to be talking about homebrew stuff and and literally like any just about anything on the DM's guild uh, could constitute like I could bring this up I could bring it up so I could just say dmsguild.com uh, that's what I'm bringing up for the for the DM's guild corner but uh, but I but this came into my inbox a couple of days ago and I was just fascinated by the amount of work and creativity that went into it. So most D&D players are familiar with Strahd, the vampire, and his campaign, The Curse of Strahd. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's recently been updated to 5th edition. It's a classic. It's, you know, it's got vampires. It's got, it's gloom. It's, uh, you know, it's it's one of D&D's most popular for a reason. Uh, what the Hedra group have done is essentially remixed it. They Ooh. remixed it and created something called One Night Strahd. Now, <laughs> One Night that Strahd name. is the Curse of Strahd campaign remixed and turned into either a like a, a, a shorter campaign, like a four four hour sessions, or like one long, one day long session that's you could do for like um, for like a Twitch stream, like you know uh you know a twelve hour Twitch stream while you're doing this uh, campaign. It's precise and messy as a vampire bite. One Night straw delivers the spectacle and catastrophe of Gothic horror as a consistent and fast-paced short campaign for D and D fifth edition. It condenses and remixes the two hundred plus hour campaign of Curse of Strahd into a replayable adventure weighing in at 525 pages with over 200 illustrations, maps and charts with careful attention to the design of exploration, combat and role-playing opportunities. Our goal has been to make something every DM and every table for every DM and every table after three years of extensive testing. Holy cow. We're proud to share this explosive adventure with you. This is, you know, even though this is something that stems that you know is, is essentially you know something that um, it's not you know a hundred percent homebrew. You know, it yeah. it obviously leans very heavily into it you know on Curse of Strahd, the cur- the the pre-existing you know Wizards of the Coast official D and D official Curse of Strahd campaign. But the idea, the the heart of homebrew, is right there in this, and I. I have, I mean, I, like I said, it came into my inbox just a couple days ago. I haven't had a chance to dig into it, but just based on what I've seen already, it comes with such a hearty recommend. Like I said, it's, it's everything that D and D is meant to be as far as like, you know, fun and imaginative and, you know, uh, you know, you're able, and so malleable at the same time. Oh yeah. You know, there's, there's definite structure, but, it allows you to like stretch your legs out and really, um, really figure out like what you want to do with the story. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's, it can, you can run it, uh, you can run a roughly 16 hour version. So, you know, uh, you know, 4 four hour sessions, uh, or as an event game, which runs roughly 12 hours. So, you know, it's, and it's replayable as well. So you can continue to, uh, play it again and again, even with the same group. Um, but yeah, like I said, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, we'll have it a link to it in the show notes, and um, definitely check it out. It's only nineteen ninety three, which um, for something that's over five hundred pages, yeah, you know, definitely worth your buck. And the three hours or the three hours, the three years of playtesting, I mean, that's that's something that you only really get with official content. Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. I'm here for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I saw it and I'm like, it seems interesting. I started reading into yeah. it. And I'm like, yeah, add to cart. Thank you very much.
0: Right. So, on that note, let's dive into the end of the show. Ah! That Willem scream. Love it. Anyway, so we've talked a lot about homebrew. We've talked about hows and whys. We've talked about where's and wins. We've talked about races. We've talked about all these wonderful things. And now let's get to the good stuff. Let's talk about our spells and items. Sergio, I want to hear about this spell. (laughs) So this spell is called tub thumping.
1: It's a reaction. and If you are knocked prone Mm -hmm. as a reaction, you can get back up. You get knocked down, but you get up again. (laughs) And you can only use it once per long rest. Ideally, you have to piss the night away before (laughs) you can use the spell again. (laughs) Like granted, (laughs) you know, this isn't gonna be. You know, a world beater spell. This isn't going to be the difference maker when you're fighting Tiamat. You know, this you're not gonna you know pull out tub thumping and all of a sudden be able to you know kill Strahd. But it's fun. It's fun. Yes. It's you know, it's you know, it adds character and 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 flair to the campaign. And that's you know, that's a for me that's one of the the highlights of homebrew is to is to make the game like it's like your own like you said mm-hmm. like the player's own and it's just it's a, you know, it's a fun little spell.
0: it is. I, I like that. I love that. It's
1: called pop dumping. Get was, knocked down but you get up again.
0: That's not what I was thinking it was going to, but I was like, you know what? I'm here for this. I'm I'm loving this. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Right. Well, I have brought not one, not two, but three magical items today.
1: You're an overachiever, as always.
0: In honor of our homebrew episode. And all three of these items have either been used by myself, created and used by me, or been created and used in one of my campaigns. So I will say they have been quite tested. Some of them seem broken until you get down to the nitty gritties. So let's start off with our first one. Now this one is an artifact level item. So this is... Don't give this away unless you're ready to deal with it. This is an item called the Amulet of Vault. So, with this item, it is a a plain... The Amulet of Vault? Amulet of Vault. Okay. So this item appears as a standard just orange jewel hanging off of a plain black lace necklace. Okay? However, When the wielder or original creator, those are key words there, the wielder or original creator of this item says the word vault, an endless and completely, I will say is huge, huge, an endless and enormous vault door will open up before them. In the vault, it will appear as if there was nothing. However, the wielder or the creator can place an item in the vault and it will be locked and secured forever. Forever? Forever, or until called upon again. Now, there are three key components to how to use this. We know the keyword word to open and close the door is vault. In order to access any items that have been placed in the vault, you must know the name of the item and say vault afterwards. The item will be presented to you. And the third detail is, in order to place an item in the vault, you must say vault and then the item's name. So, that being said, the only person who can pull anything out of these vaults is the person who wields the amulet. The only one who can put anything into these vaults is the person who wields the amulet the item does not need to be physically placed in by that person though so easy explanation i have the necklace i'm fighting tiamat i can back tiamat into the vault and shut the door as long as i say vault tiamat okay so how do you how do you get something out of the vault you have to say the item's name in this case it would be a tiamat vault so the item would or person would exit the vault so, very cool item. Very broken
1: too. <laughs> um, although the I see it as 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 the beginning of a, as like it's the, it's the plot hook. It is. It's, it's very it's much something. It's something that's discovered, and um, the care the player is uh, an unwittingly, unwittingly um, not forced, but uh, unwittingly says um you know what uh out uh or um the 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 thing the the creature the item, mm-hmm. whatever it may be out, thus bringing this you know unspeakable like eldritch horror into the world,
0: yes, and currently it is being wielded by a deity, and that is exactly what it's used for. it is to lock away dangerous artifacts or creatures.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: So here's here's the problem. Everybody looks at this from the surface value and they go, it's broken because you can literally lock anything you want in there. However, the rules of the vault are simple. Anything that's locked in the vault is locked in a timeless state. So they don't age. They don't need to eat. They don't need to drink. There's no reason for them to do anything except exist in the vault. You also have, however, locked that said person in with potentially multiple dangerous items because when the vault is given to someone or they find it, it is always found in a state where there are items still left over from the previous owner. Right. Of course. Yeah. So you have no idea what's in here. So it's not so much that it's broken, but like you said, it's more so a great plot hook plot hook for a DM.
1: Right. Right. It's so like the, like the phantom zone yeah. or that, uh, like the big, um, uh, like, Uh, Mechanism that the Ghostbusters
0: kept all the ghosts in. (laughs) Exactly. It's a very dangerous, dangerous item. And it has come back to bite many a party members in the keister because they've used it and they were like, oh, this is great. I can lock whatever I want in there. And then the big baddie gets a hold of the big baddie weapon and then it's game over. So there's item number one, the Amulet of Vault the ecto containment system <laughs> had to look that up because it was going to bug me. If it's I could not remember the name of it. Um, and you can uh, tinker I like with these things. You um, don't have to use them as they are. Yeah. I, I I mean,
1: that's And again, that's the thing about homebrew is, um, this could be a, uh, a one time use item that, um, like eons ago, the deities, the, the, the cosmology of, of God's, um, Came together, uh, put a little bit of their own power mm-hmm. into cr- into crafting, into creating this this artifact to uh, to contain this you know this horror that would end up destroying not only the world but the uh, the, the universe, the cosmos, um, uh, and and then hit it, um, hoping to that it would never be found again. Only for it to be found, of course, and again, like you know, like some Pippin style character from Lord of the Rings uh, is responsible for unleashing that horror. And exactly. then, and then once it, once it's unleashed, um, the amulet, the artifact is, is destroyed and they have mm-hmm. to figure out a way to not, if to either destroy the, the, this, this horror or another way to like maybe petition the gods to once again create it. Um and then you know that's yeah you know, it's uh, that man i'm thinking
0: of a campaign already like just trying to <laughs> i've I've got myself rare to go the, the, the squirrels the brain squirrels running in the ready circle. to do this yeah. right so let's jump into item number 2 so item number 2 is a it's a it's a lower kind of class weapon um though fantastical it is still not as impressive as the vault this is the blade of the wolf's fang. Now, this is a long sword, and it's incredible because it is forged. It is a long sword that is forged out of the horn of a golden dragon. The bone or the 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 blade itself is retractable. So as it is carried on your hip, it looks like a horn of a dragon. When used, the blade can be re- can be extracted and used as a sword. Now, what makes this blade incredible is that you can blow into the horn itself and create this odd sound and summon wolves within a 10-mile radius to be commanded by you. In addition...
1: I like that. I like the idea of, um, especially if it has um, like something to do with the character's like
0: backstory. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, the original wielder of this weapon was actually a werewolf. So that being said, in addition to being able to summon wolves, you can also use the blade itself deals additional ice damage as the original wielder of this was a grand white wolf from the and wastes so the weapon itself will do an additional 2d6 cold damage upon anybody it's used on i like the idea that you know it it
1: calls the wolves it does damage um you know there's is there any sort of negative consequence to it because that you know um I like, you know, and I don't want not necessarily everything has to have mm-hmm. like a sort of give and take. You know, something can just be badass for the sake of being badass. <laughs> um, but I know uh, like you're a fan of, you know, like there's always been like some some negative consequence to uh
0: to uh wielding a a powerful magical item. I'm glad you asked because that brings us to the negative consequence it's not a very big one, because it's not a very powerful weapon, and realistically, this is one of those weapons that could get away with not having one, but for flavor, you have a one... And we
1: are all about our flavor. And we are.
0: You have a 1% chance, so it's not very big, but you have a 1% chance of an evil wolf or wolf-like entity being summoned, and you having to do battle with it. I like that. I like that. It's It's not... It, and.
1: It's something that you, uh, as a DM, can mm-hmm. allude to, can like hint at. Yep. Um, and so every time it's used, uh, I would assume that the DM would roll the d one hundred. Yes. Uh, and based on, uh, you know, whatever if you know whatever number it, it is that you have to roll based on the proximity. So let's say it's 50, um, that if, if the, the player uses this item and a 50 is rolled, uh, let's say the, the D 100 rolls a 42 as DM, you could say like, you use the item, but you sense like a, a darkness, like sort of overtaking you. If it's like, if it's like a, a one or two, if it's as far as if it's far away from the, the predetermined number, uh, you know, you might not even allude to it at all, but the mm-hmm. closer it is you want, like, I think, yeah, that adds a lot of flavor
0: to it. I like that. Yeah. It's exactly why I added it on there. Um, but yeah, so this is, this is, this is item number two, which brings us to our final item of the wonderful episode that we've had. I've had a good time on this episode. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never, I'll never apologize for talking about ways to make
1: your D and D
0: campaign or D and D game more fun. Never. Ever! (laughs) It's not going to happen. So, item number three is a uh, special item. We don't do a lot of weapons on here, so I actually decided we're going to do two weapons this episode. So, this, this item starts off as a dagger. This is the dagger of the phoenix. Okay? So, the way this weapon is wielded is it does 4d6 fire damage when wielded. However, After five uses of positive hits, okay? So if you've actually hit your target and dealt damage, after five times, the weapon explodes into a burst of flame and is reduced to a pile of ash on the floor. After 1d4 plus one turns, it is then reborn as the nearest weapon in your hand.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: And again, the cycle repeats. So after five hits with this weapon, it bursts into flames and 1d4 turned, plus one turns. It It is reborn in a weapon again. Now this can become... What's this called again? This is the Blade of the Phoenix. The Blade of the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, A very appropriate name. Yes. So this can be detrimental this this has no negative consequences because this can be detrimental just as much as it can be a beneficiary because let's think about it this way let's say one of your party members carries a great sword well that's fantastic if you can wield the great sword but what if you are fighting in a party of nothing but spellcasters and your opponent has a sword the size of a house So you're using this weapon, you get your five hits, and it bursts into flames. And then, let's say one turn later, it turns into this ginormous blade that you cannot wield.
1: True, true. At that
0: point, your weapon is completely useless. So it's up to the party member who uses this weapon to be smart enough to carry additional weapons on them. But that also comes with a consequence of now you could become over encumbered. You could have too much weight. So right, there's right. really and, no reason to add negative consequences to this blade because yes the fire damage is powerful but it comes with its major downside. Yeah
1: and I'm, I'm not one to really um, like over you know micromanage the, uh, the weight that a player car- carries but at the same time like bro you're not walking around with with four great swords like that's just not going to happen like i mean there's (laughs) There's no way (laughs) like you have like a a great sword maybe some daggers and then like everything else but you know like i'm not i'm not going to get into the minutiae like well you're actually 2.5 pounds over encumbered so i'm going to need you but yeah like again but you're
0: also not going to be walking around with a damn armory on your back (laughs) no no exactly and that's my point is you know i don't manage weight like that either but there's no way you're gonna be carrying around armory around your back. There's just no physical way. But, alas, those are our three items. Alas, us? poor Yorick.
1: <laughs> this episode is dead. <laughs>
0: well, that brings us to the end of today's homebrew episode. Um, and uh, if you,
1: uh, if you guys, if you're playing, if you folks out there play your games and add homebrew items, spells, creatures, mm-hmm. races, uh, campaign settings, whatever it may be, please let us know. Email us, dndlorecast mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Tweet at us, uh, at dndlorecast. Join the Robots Radio Discord. We've got a, a channel on there that's super on and popping. Like, we are constantly
0: talking on there. Uh, let us know all the cool stuff that you've created. Yes, yes, please do. Because, hey, who knows? Your item may be featured on the next episode no
1: yeah absolutely so far all these are coming from the uh, dark recesses of crit's mind which is not a safe place to be so we would rather venture forth into you know into terrains uh, more lovely and and bright i mean you see the world that i've created right exactly it's not it's not nice it's not cool
0: (laughs) well it's time for us to get back to our safe tower but before we go sergio do you have anything to share with our lovely fans well, you know,
1: aside from, you know, you're able to email us, uh, dndlorecast at gmail.com. You're able to tweet at us, at dndlorecast on Twitter. Uh, you're able to join the Robots Radio Discord. Uh, we provide links to all of those uh, all those uh, places, uh, online places. And they don't really exist in the traditional sense, but uh, they exist in our hearts and in our minds and on our computers and in Mark Zuckerberg's internet. Uh, <laughs> you can find us all there. Please, you know, uh, interact with us. Mm-hmm. We're always happy to to talk D and D with uh, just about anyone. Oh yeah. Um, for me personally, uh, I also co-host a podcast called Fandom University. We just released our second part. Uh, we um we go in arcs. We go for a few episodes at a time. We'll talk about different subjects. We've done um, the aliens movies. Uh, we've done uh, Resident Evil. We've done the comic book writer, Grant Morrison, and we just finished up with Eternals. We talked about the comic books and the movie that just came out. Uh, we're taking a uh, Christmas break, a holiday break. We'll be back at the beginning of next year. But uh, in the meantime, we've got you know uh, about 20 episodes up that you can listen to and uh, very proud of it. Very, very proud of uh, what me and my co-host, Sean Hamill, the writer of A Cosmology of Monsters, uh,
0: have created. It's wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) It's fantastic. It's wonderful. If you aren't listening, you should go check it out. (laughs) I had some mic problems there. I couldn't unmute my mic. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, if you aren't listening to Sergio's pod, go check it out, please. It's a wonderful listen. Um, I'm really enjoying the Eternals arc you guys are doing right now. I really thoroughly enjoyed the... Well, you, you've already done it. You've already done the Eternals arc. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've already done it. I sw- I'm, it's where I'm at right now on the show. But uh, I really enjoyed the Resident Evil dive you guys did. That um, was extremely informative. It was great. Um, so, yeah, go check it out. It's a wonderful pod. Uh, on my end, uh, on my bajillion pods... Uh, <laughs> So
1: we if have. You ever, if you ever form a, a podcast network, that's, that's what it should be called a bajillion pods. bajillion pods. pods.
0: <laughs> so I'm just going to go in alphabetical order here. Um, we have Avatar Journey of the Elements, TTRPG. Um, it is an Avatar um, Legends based game. Um, we have Call of Cthulhu Mythos Mysteries, 7th edition live play. We have Cyberpunked, that's Cyberpunk apostrophe D. Um, that is our Cyberpunk Red live play. We have our one of our newer shows, the Delta Green SCP Files, where we dive into the Delta Green system and play a live play using SCPs as the wonderful enemies. We have the Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit R5e homebrew live play podcast. Um, you can hear a bunch of wonderful items and ridiculous pedantics over there. <clears throat> we also have our newest show releasing on the 30th of this month. The Knights of Darkness, which is a where that is a show where you're doing the live plays of all of the World of Darkness TTRPGs, starting with none other than Vampire the Masquerade. Love it. Love me some World of Darkness. Oh, yes. Uh, And the last one we have is Resident Evil Lorecast, and it is set up similar to this one. Um, You can go check it out. It's all about Resident Evil. The
1: video games, the Everything. Yeah, you guys are going to be diving into the movies pretty soon. Yep, I was say, which, we're saying uh, we're we're trying
0: to stay in canon order at the moment, yeah. and it's really hard because after after you get out of at a certain point, it starts to go from canon, non canon. Oh, this mission is canon, but the rest of the game's not. So right. we're trying to link it all together for all of our fans that are listening to understand and familiarize themselves with the storyline. Um like the timeline. Yeah, the tour in the timeline. And we are actually gonna do our first Patreon exclusive episode. Um, we're gonna go watch the new movie coming out next week. I can't wait. Oh, it's I we're excited. Wait. Uh we're gonna go watch it and then we're gonna give our uh comments about it on our uh Patreon pod. Nice, excellent. So, but yeah, so that's all I got going on. And if you want to chat That's it. That's all that's it. Yeah, that's no biggie. Uh <laughs> Like Sergio said, if you want to chat with us and hang out with us, you can you can check out all those shows, um, all Sergio show and our Dungeon Dragons Lurecast show on um, Spotify and all those places. You can hit us up on our Discord, chat with us, and you know feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you guys, and we love to hear the wonderful things you guys are doing. So absolutely. On that note, I think it's time for us to bid everyone adieu. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at DNDLorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio
1: podcast. Smart shows for interesting people.